I do not have, I do not feel I have human suffering on my conscience. If I seconds. have to justify, last sentence, if I have to justify what I have done throughout the entire of my career, I will say I have let women in, de in desperate and difficult circumstances make a decision to do what they feel in good conscience is, is right. And we'll see where that leaves me in the future. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of About Abortion. I'm joined today by Christian. Christian, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Uh, good holidays? Back from Scotland. Yeah, just got back from Scotland last night. It was a 10-hour journey, coach and train. And uh, in the end, there was no train back to our house. So um, because of my wheelchair, good old Southeastern Railway paid for a black cab door-to-door. -door. Um, so what, was, from uh, Scotland good... to... <laughs> no, from no, from no, where no. to? <laughs> no, sorry, from London Bridge. It was from London Bridge oh, okay. to our house. Was a black cab. Okay, uh, a black okay. cab from Scotland so would have been impressive. So you didn't fancy the drive. You, you public transported it to Scotland and back. Well, we actually went to Carlisle. We there was a the the wedding we were attending put on a coach from Carlisle to Stranraer. Oh, cool. Or near to a place mm. called Port Patrick, and so that's what we did and. Yeah, it was. It was. We took two out of three kids, and uh, oh, it was beautiful. So on one day, nice. we 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 clambered down this little uh, kind of to this bay with this kind of jagged, dark, rocked bay with this kind of cool Scottish water coming in and out. And we went swimming, and as we went out, there was a seal uh, that joined us, which nice. looks exactly like a Labrador without ears. Mm. Um, mm. So either you know. I reckon they it are. It could have been a Labrador without ears. I mean, did you did you check? Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't see anyone like in a barber jacket, like waving profusely, mm. saying that's my dog. Besides, they may not want to declare themselves uh, because obviously it leads to the question of who cut off the ears. So there could have mm. been an owner um, mm. in one of the crags nearby that we didn't know about. <laughs> and maybe it's, yeah, wrong of me to assume it was just a seal. Uh I mean, I, I haven't seen a Labrador with a little flipper before, but, you know, um, I'm could, open. It could be um, it could be a controversial segue from here into what we're going to talk about today. Just just because the uh, it didn't look like a regular Labrador, Labrador doesn't mean its nature and value is different from a regular Labrador. Well, I would actually argue um, the whether it was a labrador or not is not in question the question is just who decides whether that labrador is valuable or not well even if it has you're clearly ears still uh still reeling no you're still reeling from <laughs> you're uh, still you're clearly still in that headspace um today we're talking about your debate with Anne frady and i think people have had a chance on this podcast to to catch up with that if you haven't uh, listen to that, uh, watched it, please do go back and see it. We're going to play a few clips here and there um, during this conversation. Um, but Christian, I, I, thanks for coming on because um, I really uh, wanted to obviously te tear it to shreds, you know, and it's great to have you here um, in order to be able to do that with, with, your, uh, with your life responses. Um, yes. No, in yeah, all I'm, seriousness. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm a sensitive petal and I'm looking forward to being barbarized in this talk. But I actually listened to a, uh, in preparation for this, I listened to a, a some American debaters um, pulling, uh, pulling apart somebody else's debate. And it was a William Lay Craig <laughs> was one of the, he's the famous debater. And he, and he basically started by saying, well, let's start with what they look like. And he was like, <laughs> I think the debater's choice was a little bit messy. And he, Lane Craig goes, I think, a, I think a blue pants with potentially a white shirt would have added um, to him. It just would have been a little bit better for the occasion. 
so I'm I don't know how much I don't know if you're going to go into the granular detail of what I was wearing. Uh, well, I actually, but I'm ready. I'm ready. No, um, I was actually when I read, I was actually that was the first thing that struck me. You actually were dressed very well. Um, you you came across very well. I don't know if, if you got any assistance in um, scrubbing up so so smartly. I don't know if any anyone assisting you in the background. Uh, there. I have to yeah, I have to give credit where credit's due. Uh, having a wife that cares about my appearance and uh, lets me know when there's bolognese in places it shouldn't be mm -hmm. uh, is obviously mm -hmm. of great assistance. I did forget my belt, which I was worried about. At some points, I was. Okay. <laughs> I thought I thought the worst could happen, but by the grace of God. Mm. Um, you know, I needed the Scottish belt team basically to help me um, mm, in that situation. Yeah. Um, They're listening in, hopefully some of them, the central belt team. <laughs> Do send us a few extra belts, that'd be helpful. Uh, no, you scrubbed up very well. And, um, you know, I know some people are only listening on audio only, but for those who can see, you know, it looks like you're sort of um, a prepper or someone in hiding at the moment. So compared to your usual look, you know, it was, it was, um, it was good. Um, but but beyond the appearances of things, in all seriousness, um, I thought you did an amazing job. And um, I praise God because I think for most people um, watching that the the sort of the defining moment, I think, of this debate and what characterized really all of this debate was your very um, sincere and heartfelt um, call to Anne to repentance. From a corporate perspective, and was incredibly successful. From a moral perspective, her leadership oversaw the killing of around one million human lives over the 19 years that she was in charge at BPAS. If my first argument is correct, future generations will not remember this as healthcare, they will remember this as genocide. Now, Anne, you have read and debated some of the best pro-life apologists in the world. I don't presume to win you round to this point tonight. However, in love, I do need to warn you that one day you, like all of us, will have to answer to God for those one million lives he made but BPAS killed. On that great and dreadful day, there is only one person who has the expertise to represent you, and his name is Jesus. But not only can he represent you, but he really wants to, Anne. He really wants to represent you. And he doesn't want you to suffer the punishment that your career has created. I think you saw this um, maybe in some senses primarily as an opportunity to have uh, an extended one-on-one heart-to-heart with Anne Faraday, that you would actually uh, engage honestly, seriously with her as a, as a person and, and really plead uh, with her to uh, repent of her ways. And I think that message came across loud and clear and in that sense I think it was uh, different from any other debate that I've seen um, of that nature. Um, is, is, is that your lasting impression that that was the that was the kind of key take home? Well I think it's a very good question I um, and it's and it's been a criticism by some people who said well listen the, the question of the debate is is abortion healthcare so so why would why would you have a kind of almost personal um, kind of plea for repentance uh, and faith as part of that. But, but I think two things in my preparation for the debate, um, I felt that two things uh, were were lacking in the debates that I saw, right? There's, there's some much cleverer, much more able debaters in the UK who've debated Anne in the past. Um, and and you, you can see their debates online. Um, but But one thing I didn't see was um this you know when if christians are debating uh you know especially if evangelical christians are debating someone and if we if we believe that there's going to be a judgment and that we're all going to be called to account for our moral actions it it seems strange to me that um if you are a christian then surely that would be at least one of the notes that you had to hit um and so i I kind of felt this kind of compulsion, you know, Christ's love compels me. One, one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that we may not live for ourselves, but him who died for us. And I think I, I felt, listen, I don't know when else I'm going to be opposite Anne Frady. Um, I don't know whether this debate is going to be the start of a 
uh, a kind of debating series that will give me more opportunities or actually mentioning repentance will actually exclude me from all debating series because, you know, according to debating rules, it, it's never going to be a, a, a topic that a secular society is going to want to debate. So I think, I listen, between me and God, it was like, I just got this opportunity. I need to make the most of it and mm. and let God be my judge as to whether I was right or not or doing that. Um, and then the second thing I felt, um, you know, that that I needed to communicate was something of the, you know, it's very in, easy to have a kind of abstract debate on is it a human being or isn't it? And then you finish with a piffy uh, finish and you you kind of you look like old chums. Um, but I wanted to try to grasp something of the scale and the industry of abortion mm. of which Anne was operating. So I think. So so I think that was my second objective in the debate was to try to not to try to pull this away from just a kind of nice philosophical back and forth. Is it a human being or is it not to actually a hugely morally charged uh, kind of discussion on, listen, not only is this not healthcare, but this is actually genocide of which, you know, mm. you're you are going to have to give a ca- an account. Um, but actually, I guess if I'd had more time, I'd like to say, and I think some, some some person wrote to me about this in the feedback to say, you know, I'd like to say to the church, you know, we've got to give an account too, you know, um, for our silence mm-hmm. on this. So I think my, um, in in some senses, I'm I'm pleased. I I think it was the right thing to do to to go there. I think it would be a would have been a betrayal of of our particular contribution in this debate as evangelical Christians to not go there. Um, but I think I would have liked to have gone further to say, you know, that this it's not just going to be Anne who's going to be standing to account at the end of time, uh, giving account of her life. But it's actually going to be all of us. Um, and and the church has a huge um, uh, should be quaking, you know, uh, just as much as Anne needs to be quaking at the thought of standing before holy God on this matter. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you what you did certainly was strike the right. Um, tone you know it is this is a morally weighty issue and I and it I'm uncomfortable when people approach it as if we're just debating you know football tactics or something or there can be a, a approach to questions that are seen as philosophical which in which people almost seem to relish the uh, intricacies and it's almost a laughing matter we come down on different sides well hang on this is actually the genocide of our time and so i think there's an there was an appropriateness to um to the seriousness at a moral level and a personal level even because morality is personal what what we're doing to these babies god takes personally so i think i think that was right i think that was good um and i think for me there are a few big uh standout uh, moments that i wanted to kind of sort of get your thinking on um uh, now the dust has settled a bit, and I think for, for my wife and I, I was, I was listening through uh, with an Andy. We were watching, um, I think live. I think we were there watching it live. And that, no, I think I think we were pre-live. We, it was before it went out. Um, so you obviously didn't broadcast it live, but you filmed it, and then we premiered it later in the week. But we managed to uh, cheekily get hold of a copy backstage and watch it just before it went live. And there were a few really jaw-dropping moments, I think, in in what Anne said and I wanted to kind of home in on those a bit because on the one hand the thing about Anne Faraday is um, her honesty in many ways she's very honest isn't she she's unusually candid about the reality of abortion she doesn't deny it's a life a human life uh, she even said at one point let's be honest you know every abortion stops a beating heart she, she's she's not afraid uh, to to go there and and she also spoke quite vividly at one point about um ending the life that you can feel moving around inside of you so so she's she unlike some abortion advocates she doesn't try to pretend there's not a life there uh, so on the one hand you've got Anne Faraday's honesty but then i was also really struck by her moments of dishonesty um notice those as well so for example um she she referred although she she in some breaths can can say uh what abortion is in 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 quite honest terms uh there were other moments in which she said well look all we're doing is is what what's been done for hundreds thousands of years just just 
bringing on our period. I don't know if you remember that, um, but she she was willing to, um, in a sense, uh, change the rules of honesty. I'll come back to that in a moment because I think what she was really doing. I think I think the essence, if 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 the sort of defining um, characteristic of your approach was a heartfelt call to repentance, I would say Anne Faraday's approach was the setting forth of a different religion, actually, with its own set of terminology, its own set of rules, its own authority uh, concepts. And within that worldview, which we'll come on to perhaps later, um, she, I suppose it ultimately doesn't matter whether you call it bringing on your period or an abortion. The point is, it's, uh, it's what the woman feels she, she wants or needs at that time. And that's the end of the story. Um, so yeah, did, did you? What did you? Do you think? Do you think Anne Frady was honest and truthful with you in that debate? Do you think she is knowingly deceiving, uh, or do you think she's just got a? It's just a, a different set of um, affections, and just what what she values is, is 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 to be found elsewhere. Um, I think it's a very good question, and I think. I mean, the first thing was I was genuinely grateful to Anne for accepting the offer, right? You know, I, I went out on Twitter mm. and I invited lots of people uh, to come to the debate. And I and one person kind of censoriously put my invite on Twitter and said, nobody replied to this with her reply, etc. Mm. Um, and so I went to Anne and I said, Anne, literally words on the tweet, which I was very happy about that pun, um, that nobody, you know, people don't want to debate me here. And... And she said, no, I'll debate you. So so, so she's kind of an advocate of uh, of free speech and and fair debate. So so in, on the one hand, I kind of see that there's this kind of strange integrity to her. And then and then we also meant that the, the debate could move much more rapidly um, than if I debated one of her former or former colleagues because she acknowledges the humanity of the unborn child from the off, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think there is an integrity to her and she's willing to talk about abortion procedures and she's almost she's she's very likable uh and amicable and she's kind of you know there's there are points there are multiple points in the debate where she said oh good point or yeah that's really interesting you know it's almost like she went further to build a common ground with me than than I did with her um the question being you know is is the motivation behind that just a kind of um the result of just not being more to you know a a kind of definitive religious system or is it a kind of deliberate you know chummy chummy um but actually i'm i'm kind of siphoning off your moral value as you speak um and i i really don't think i'm in a position to to be able to to i don't think i can discern um the the truth on that i, I actually thought in reflection and that this was one of the people who attended actually made this point which is I, I think her ultimate position was was almost hiding behind women it was like mm. you know she she was saying i'm going to empower women to do their you know i'm not saying that they're not human beings i'm not saying that they're not valuable but ultimately i'm going to allow women to uh kind of make that decision and i don't think i fully nailed that i don't think i fully destroyed I don't think it's kind of the fact that somebody else had to kind of point that out to me shows that my mind was going in overload and I only kind of clocked that almost a day after. But but really, I think she's what she's doing is kind of it's kind of like the worst kind of totalitarianism by proxy. You know, it's one removed. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like I'm not, you know, and so she was I think she was able to, uh, you know, kind of come away from the debate kind of being like, look, I'm not a bad person. I'm actually enabling people to make their own choices. And it's kind of, she was able to kind of position herself one step removed from mm. the, what, uh, what I was trying to point, you know, was trying to link her to, which is the intentional killing of over a million human beings over a 19 year period. So, yeah. so I think that, I think there, you know, I can see why she's done that because it's quite a comfortable position to be in. Um, what I would have loved to have got to if I'd been quicker on, in my mind, etc., is to be like, 
hiding behind a woman is almost it's almost like you're a hostage you know the woman is hostage and you're kind of yeah. you know behind them and and that's no that's no stronger a moral position than actually being the one doing the killing you know mm. um but i kind of never really um got there but yeah i mean there is a some people have some people i've spoken to have concluded you know this is you know this is kind of um kind of you know world class deception world class getting you on side but actually um selling you a different religion um i guess the other end of the spectrum is this is just involuntary involuntarily the result of what happens if you are um you know part of the kingdom of darkness as we all are until christ you know opens up our eyes so mm. um uh, yeah I, I i feel like i can't uh say for sure but but certainly in 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 our interactions in our own countenance i did you know all i can repeatedly say was there's a strange integrity you know she mm. was she was actually opening up to me about stuff and her her life and you know her frustrations about various things just before the debate and it's like you know it didn't i i didn't get the impression that she was doing that with some overriding strategy no. uh in mind but you know i could you know um i could be just on the in the deceive category who knows no i think that's a helpful response because ultimately we don't know you know the heart is deceitful uh who can understand it we w perhaps it's fruitless to try and understand to what extent this is deliberate but certainly i think it's important just for those who listened in it's important that um people should note there were some um things said by Anne that was simply uh incorrect so uh for example she made the claim that the majority of women having abortions uh, were uh, married women in their late 20s uh, or early 30s um and that that simply is not true it is true that 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 sort of category of of uh women seeking abortions is on the up it's increasing year on year um but people can see this on the official statistics over the last few years the average age of a woman seeking an abortion is over the last few years it's 21 uh give or take according to which year you're looking at um and 80 percent of uh, women having abortions are single by their own self-definition so uh, that was simply untrue now whether she knowingly lied uh, i'll prove but i think there was a sense at times that um that she was seeking to cover the tracks of uh, the abortion industry um another point at which i wondered about the well this is a bit of a, a jaw-dropping moment was when she claimed that uh, women were fully informed about all the risks of uh, pills by post abortion. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know w what you made of that that claim, Christian. She, she sort of gave the impression that, that why would the abortion industry ever seek to mislead? We're, we're totally upfront with all the uh, side effects and women know know all the risks go, go, going into that stuff. Is it, what, because you, you've looked into this stuff a bit. What's your, what's your response to that? Well, I think I guess the, you're touching on kind of some of the more frustrating uh, aspects of the debate being, you know, um, just just the fact that when you when you're speaking for 12 minutes and you've got a rebuttal for five minutes, just so many facts hmm. uh, kind of go beneath your feet without your ability to kind of pause and uh, say, hang on, that's not true. You know, she you know, everything hmm. I leveled at her about complication rates, one in 17 women who have DIY home abortions end up requiring hospital treatment as a result. Links between abortion, preterm delivery, placenta pravia, um, and breast cancer. You know, she kind of just swiped them aside with one said, well, listen, I've heard these before. Um, but she never really dealt with them to say why they weren't hmm. true. So there, I think there was a kind of, um, there was a sense in which she was kind of, covering the 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 tracks of of her in her previous role and of course there is an argument to say listen it, it, it's always in the interests of clinicians to make patients fully informed um about their the procedure that they're going on uh, but that but the fact that the abortion industry it's the information that they are giving is vastly out of date vastly optimistic and often generated by other members of the abortion industry uh, was again and just something else that was never um fully elaborated on and 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 i i'm that's probably almost a separate debate in of itself you know mm. links between the abortion industry and the tobacco industry and how um ideology and profit you know uh do drive science um uh, i mean take covid as a good example of that but but i i don't um 
yeah i there was kind of there's just so much that kind of wasn't bottomed out i guess what surprised me as her debater is just how little she really said in defense of these allegations you know you would have thought that i i would have thought if i'd been debating me and if i'd read some of the stuff that i'd written which would have literally taken half an hour i would have been like right i'm gonna destroy this point and this point with my own science mm. at the very least the fact that she didn't even attempt to do that um i thought was 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 surprising and um potentially kind of just shows you know we should be nailing these points you know people seem to be so frightened of um kind of for example making the breast cancer link but but the fact that if you can make the breast cancer link to you know uh the head of the ex-head of a uk abortion provider for her to say yes i was aware of that uh you know moments after previously in the debate saying that women are fully informed and why wouldn't we fully inform women it was just like ah there's just too much going on here like we just uh, we, I, I, you know, we. I'd really want to, kind of, um, follow some of these threads, uh, you know, to 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 where they lead, you know, because it's it's it, it was a constant mm. kind of constant, you know, surface level answer, but but just dig down a bit, and you're like, hang on, what is what is the truth here? Um, and there seemed mm. to be quite a lot of that, and and I think if if the debate's con contribution is anything, it hopefully just should. Um, start to uh, mine some of these unanswered questions yeah. um, deeper and further. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely why I, I wanted to do, to do this because I think really the this debate touched on so much which uh, people, I want to encourage those listening in uh, to try and get to the bottom of some of this stuff. Obviously in, within a debate, there's only so much time. But I think what, what it brought to the surface was some really important things that we need to understand deeply and thoroughly um, if we're going to uh, hold firm against the, the, the tide of, of our culture. I think one thing that you, you mentioned already, but we could just explore a little bit more, is, is this way in which Anne Faraday seeks to hide behind the women. Uh, and I think that's very well put because w when it comes to the health impact of abortion, the honest truth, and I think this explains maybe some of her... Um, unresponsiveness to, to those allegations. When it comes to women's health, ultimately, Anne Faraday's response is, well, even if abortion is bad for their health, it's got to be up to them, a bit like mm. smoking mm. Uh, or drinking. It, at the end of the day, she would probably say, well, yeah, they shouldn't be lied to. She should try and uphold that um, principle. Um, but ultimately, if they want to do something that damages their own health, that's got to be their decision. Um, and, and that sounds empowering, it sounds honouring of people's uh, freedom to choose um, and so on. But in fact, it's, um, it, it's, a, it's a terrifying place to leave women, to put women, where they are now being charged with the final word on who gets to live and who has to die. I came across a quote, uh, I think, again, this is during the lockdown uh uh, days and uh, a church leader, I forget who it was and I forget who said it originally, but it was along the lines of when we try to be more than human, we become less than human. Hmm. So if we try to, for example, assume that godlike authority over life and death, if we decide uh, who has value and gets to live, who doesn't have value and has to die, hmm. we, we are elevating ourselves above where we're designed and created to be as human beings. Um, and then, in some sense, paradoxically, that dehumanizes us because it leads us to, to behave in ways that are degrading and subhuman. Mm. And actually, uh, we find ourselves, in a sense, closer to the animals in that we are, we are not behaving with the dignity mm. that God has given us. And I think that's what, what struck me as I reflected again on the debate was... Um, and we'll come back to person because it's so important, but even just looking at the woman's humanity and personhood, if we want to use that term, uh, abortion dehumanizes women. Mm. Uh, and precisely because in our culture, they're given the final say, because the fact that they have chosen themselves means they've been tempted and you could say um, prodded into a position where they are making decisions that only God should make. Mm. 
Yeah, I I th- I I quite agree. I think it's a very um, helpful analogy. The analogy I I I've used in the past, or I think I tried to make during the debate, is it's you know when we take human life, innocent human life, we are playing God. So we're effectively putting our fingers in the power sockets of mm. um, of our universe, and it's just not what we're meant to do, right? Because this is God's prerogative to give and to take away. And and so when when people, you know, put their when people take life, there's huge there's huge moral, emotional, psychological, physical and and, um, you know, spiritual consequences. And so any industry that is facilitating the killing of innocent human beings is effectively queuing women up and asking them one at a time to put their fingers in the plug socket, mm. um, yeah. which which is not empowering at all. Um, of course, lots of there's lots of power involved, but actually the the end result is uh, a lot of scarring, a lot of damage, and and your whole moral wiring um, goes um, crazy, basically, you know, mm. and and that's why you that's why often women who've gone through abortion find themselves, you know, they they either become campaigners because they have to justify their previous moral decision, um, you know, or uh, they can repent and and it's like when when you repent and you accept what you've done and you take responsibility for it and you name your child and you await uh, the return the seeing your child again uh, when in glory when Christ returns that it's like that's the moment you are kind of you know morally grounded again you know it's like it's like you get earthed all that electricity leaves your system you know so so I think from a moral perspective it's like th- that's just not a tenable moral position to be to be actively um, requiring women do that. And if it turns out that in the process of requiring them to do that, you're either not giving them false, the whole picture as to what they're doing, or you're actually deliberately misinforming them, then of course the moral culpability becomes even greater. Um, But Mm. this is really an argument that uh, wasn't had openly um, join the debate which 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 would have been great to get to just to say and you know this is you know what you're doing right now is actually it's a cowardly position and it's almost mm. you know it's uh yeah it's it's just as wrong and letting women be the moral arbiters of whether a human uh is valuable is 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 is, is wrong and, and claiming that um claiming that you're not actually misleading them in some way in the process by which this is happening uh, shows a, a lack of conviction or potential, you know, internal deception or whatever. I can't put mm. my finger on it, but yes, I agree. Um, and, yeah. and that's not to mention all the health consequences that we that we know that I elaborated and I even bought, you know, some uh, scientific paperwork for people to take away at the back to, to try to substantiate some of the claims that I was mm. making. Yeah, something we keep coming back to again and again on this podcast is the the myth of neutrality. And I think Anne Frady's claim here was, hey, I'm not pro-abortion. I don't want women to have abortions. I just think it should be their choice. They should be allowed to choose to have an abortion. And and the, the implication there is I'm neutral. I'm just saying they should be able to decide. But actually, when you lift the lid on that and, and examine it uh, more carefully, it's anything but neutral. Or rather, um, perhaps we should... Uh, say we're meant to be positive we're not meant to be neutral when it comes to protecting life the role of the state the role of the government the role of our laws should be to protect Mm. innocent life it should be to prohibit violence Mm. and so uh, we've all heard the 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 pro-abortion the pro-choice slogan don't like abortion don't have one in other words uh, just stay out of it you don't have to have an abortion no one's forcing you to have an abortion uh, but if I want to have one, just let me, um, uh, which, which which sounds great until you remember that innocent people are being killed and, and the laws should protect those people. For the state to, to take its hands off and say, hey, we're not going to legislate to say that the unborn is a person. <clears throat> Each individual decide, well, that's a negligence of their duty to protect. Their God-given mandate is to... Um, is to punish evil and to promote good uh, and that's why they bear the sword and so uh, for a state to say we're just going to retreat from this and let everyone decide actually is a, is a an egregious um 
dereliction of duty. Uh, we watched uh, on our holidays recently. Uh, uh, we watched a bit of Bluey. Have you have you seen Bluey, Christian? Yeah, the Australian dog. Yeah, the, possibly the, the best children's the last, TV out at the moment. The last marital heterosexual <laughs> kids program in existence. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. My only my only criticism is Bluey's dad. I think is just like a full time brilliant. Oh no, he never seems to go to work. He's like I know. Like compare I, me to Bluey's dad. I know. I'm like the worst dad ever. Because when my kids come in, when my kids come in, I'm like, get out! I'm working. Like, whereas Bluey's dad's like. <laughs> Oh mate, this is a game. I'm a robot. <laughs> Gonna come get you, Bluey. Gonna come get you. And he like, and then he'll do it like half an hour break in the middle of his working day. Very creative. Mm -hmm. It's almost, you know, um, endless, sort of, endless energy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's inspiring. No, Bluey is genuinely one of the best uh, kids TV shows out there at the moment. No, it's good. I've, I've been, I've been trying to be a, a, a more attentive and fun dad as a result. But there was one episode which really. Um, uh, it was good fun. It was it, it was um, quite tongue in cheek. Some parenting book, which uh, you just need to let your kids decide. Mm -hmm. Don't don't tell them what to do. You just let them decide. It's, you know they they, yeah. they know best. Let them make good decisions. So of course it's it's bath time and it's coming up to bedtime, and uh, he realizes he can't tell them to get out of the bath. They have to decide. So he's trying to point out stuff like you know your, your lips are going blue and you're <laughs> shivering and stuff but you decide you know it's yeah. You, yeah. i trust you to make the right decision uh and of course it it, it ends badly but the, the the point is that parents for for a parent to say to a bunch of toddlers hey you decide mm. uh it's not for me to say what's the right course of action it might at the surface sound uh empowering but in fact, it's uh, it's a dereliction of duty and it's dangerous. And that's not what we're not saying is that adult women or teenage girls are akin to children who can't make their own decisions, generally speaking. But we are saying is that the role of the state should be to legislate and uh, to defend innocent people from from violence. So this whole myth of neutrality is such a dangerous one, and uh, and it isn't. It has seeped into the church. A lot of people say, well, look, I'm pro-life, but I'm not comfortable with legislating morality, our, our morality, not imposing our morality onto society. They don't share our Christian values. So how can we possibly um, want to create a law that, that bans abortion? It's a really important point that we need to get our heads around if the pro-life movement is going to advance as it should. But it, but it also just shows that like, once... You know, it was men who debated the 1967 Abortion Act. It was men who approved of, you know, our current abortion law. And then what happens next? It's like, you know, this third sector arises to fill the gap, you know, um, of the biggest one being, you know, BPAS and Faraday, you know, running it and growing uh, BPAS over a 19-year period. And, and yet what's the heart of their morality? It's like, well, we'll just put it on the women, you know and mm. we'll put they make the moral choice and then and diy abortion which has happened since lockdown is further it's like well we, we won't even do the killing now we'll let them do the killing at home you know so it's like this constant kind of it's like the 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 david Steele and others they change the law they hand it over to the third sector the ha third sector appoints people like Anne Faraday, who then hand it over to the women to make the decision and then you know uh, 60 years later, we, we're then handing it over to to women to to kill their own babies in their own homes, the very place where those babies are meant to be nurtured. And it's just this constant handing over, you know, of moral responsibility, dereliction of duty, the duty of care. And it's just the whole thing is just so lacking in responsibility, you know. And then we come in and we say, actually, you shouldn't kill anyone. Uh, you shouldn't kill an innocent person at any stage between fertilization and natural death. And people come for us and say, well, we're the, we're the, we're the um, bigoted ones, but we're, we're the ones saying, actually, we've got to take responsibility for this. You know, th that this mm -hmm. killing is on our watch, that this um, it's been a dereliction of duty all this time. We need to put it right. We need to shoulder whatever burden it requires to put it right. Um, and so this is kind of, you know, it's this, it's the, what, what is required of us is almost a reverse. It's kind of um, mm. not taking, um, not um, handing over responsibility, but taking responsibility where we have yeah. responsibility and then giving the ultimate responsibility of who decides um, who lives and dies back to its rightful owner being God, um, you know, and so it's kind of this, 
you know, we see in this kind of, um, you know, in this ugly pattern, we actually see something of the solution of what needs to happen. Mm. Mm. I think sometimes people want to make the claim that uh, we're the ones being religious. We're the, we're the religious bigots, as you said. We're coming in with our morality, trying to impose it on others, whereas the pro-choice uh, majority are not religious they're not ideologically driven they're just they just they're just scientific they just believe in 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 human rights and people being able to do their own thing and a, a bit like the myth of neutrality it's a real problem if we don't even perceive what the problem is uh that actually at heart this is a religious debate and i think what we see especially than Faraday, who 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 as as you mentioned she she's written on this she she's written a book the moral case for abortion she doesn't shy away from the moral discourse. And in fact, what she did in that debate uh, with you, I think, was, um, was, was not so much debate the facts and the science, broadly in agreement with that, although I think it's down the health impact and, and, and so on. But really what she was doing was setting forth um, an alternative religion, an alternative set of morality. I think what people need to see is that when it comes to abortion, it's not as though um, we're all on the same road and then we just get off at slightly different stops. You know, we conclude slightly different. Some of us pro-abortion, we're all trying to do the same thing, basically. We're on the same track. That's not the case. What we've got here is two entirely different worldviews. It's not a battle between those who are being scientific and those who are being religious. It is two different religions warring with one another. Um, and I think what we've got uh, that Anne Frady uh, lays out really quite clearly, if, you, if you've got the ears to hear it, is, is this different religion. We could call it secular humanism. Uh, we could call it the religion of self. Uh, we could call it individualism, whatever it is we want to call it. Uh, whereas Christianity in very uh, simple terms, the, uh, at the top, God is God. Um, salvation is is freedom from sin and from the wrath of God against sin and from judgment uh, to be with God uh, in eternity. Um, and people are creatures made in his image. They're no more, they're no less. And uh, God writes the, the rule book. He, he, he decides what's right and wrong. In Anne Faraday's religion, uh, all those places are filled by different things or ideas or entities. And so instead of God being God, uh, the individual is God, self is God, I am God of my life. Mm. And uh, in terms of uh, what is salvation, well, salvation is being free to do whatever I want to do. Mm. That's that's my liberty, is uh, as long as I'm in charge of my own destiny. And she actually talked, I don't know if you remember, about two sort of uh, things, bodily autonomy and essentially life autonomy. It's up to me what happens with my body. It's up to me to dictate the course of my life. Mm. That's that's the good life that I'm pursuing and should be able to pursue. Um, and, and then as to what human beings are, uh, because what's worshipped is the self and is, is, is autonomy, freedom to do whatever I want to do, what we worship is what we become like and what we worship defines who we are or what we think we are. And so what defines a human being in Anne Faraday's world or a person is someone who actually can choose. Therefore, if you're not at the age where you can choose yet, well, you're not, a, you're not really a person. You're, you're not a human being. You might technically have a, have a heartbeat, but if you can't determine your own destiny, and if you don't have choice, then in this religion, you don't count. You're not really a person. And I think when you have those key points in place, you can begin to understand more what she's trying to say, because sometimes she'll use words that we're familiar with and we think we know what she means by them or what they ought to mean but because they belong in this alternative religion they actually mean something different so for example she um she talked about uh, it being um uh she talked about the importance of conscience and what uh, what's right or wrong for the woman in her own life. This is the kind of language she uses. So she's using moral language, conscience, about what's right for me. I've got to do what's right for me. But we're not talking about objective right and wrong, according to God's law, or even according to any natural law. We're talking about what 
that individual defines as right or wrong. In other words, what they want. Mm. And that makes it right because that's the, that's the religion of self. Mm. Or a, another term that she used um, was uh, responsibility, you know, being responsible, making a responsible decision. Now, under God, we know we have responsibilities before God. But when she's using that word, she's talking about responsibilities to yourself, mm. doing the right thing by yourself. And then the other example that really struck me was, and I think she even um, pointed out the, the, the sort of parallelism here herself, if I remember correctly, whereas you were talking about standing before God mm. in judgment, she said, uh, sta standing before the mirror and saying, I've done the right thing, mm. which is a very powerful picture of this religion she's setting forth. My, my judgment day is standing in front of the mirror looking at myself and as long as i'm pleased with myself i i've i've passed the test and mm. that is what's really going on here it's a war between two religions mm. uh christianity and the religion of of self mm. well listen i mean i uh appreciate your depth of insight there um and and i, I can't claim to have noticed that or or necessarily seen that of course when you explain it back you can see more of a kind of constellation of what might have been going on um but i guess you know if what you're saying is true it's kind of uh and i have you basically have to fight this with christianity you know um mm. and actually there's another route to the same point which is you know you can't really make an argument for the value of an unborn baby or any human being even outside the womb without um you know you can't you can't be an objective value without going upstream and discussing matters of ownership and mm. value givers you know because ultimately for Anne, you know value is a kind of you know a commodity like a kind of stock market that fluctuates depending on if the if the child is going to ruin the the woman's life or improve it mm. or enhance it it's kind of its value changes depending on circumstantial uh moments and obviously if it's ivf or if you're infertile then it becomes supremely valuable you know um mm. but it's the same it's the it's an it's a it's a different pathway into the same question of well ultimately the only way to accredit value is to bring in God. And actually, you're right when you when you look at it the way you do that. You have a total clash of worldviews here. Um, and and actually for Anne to go to her death thinking that she's only got an answer to an image of herself in a mirror is terrifying, right? Because mm. um, when that mirror is broken or not there or consumed by fire and behind it is the holy god of the universe you suddenly think actually um the only moral standard to which we're going to be judged is the moral standard of the lawgiver uh mm. you know himself and i guess this and mm. this kind of comes back to the question of how do we address this stuff and and, and should we be you know what does the future of pro-life apologetics look like in the united kingdom and i just the more and more i guess we we talk about it and discuss it it's, you, you know the in an appropriate way you know jesus and the christian faith have to be a part of that discussion because really they 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 provide the underpinning for everything mm. else you know um so i think you're i think you're right the fact that i you know it'd be interesting to i mean it'll be slightly boring debate but actually it'll be a very helpful debate to kind of almost start by salvation you know contender one what do you mean by that you know, you yeah. know and Freddie, <laughs> yeah. what do you mean by that you know um spirituality judgment you know please define these terms because mm -hmm. actually i think you'll be it's almost we almost spend too much time chatting without establishing actually what radically different uh worlds yeah. we we're we're living in and what different worldviews we have mm. yeah i think that's i think that's right i think that's something you did address real um in responding to her response to you to repentance and it doesn't work like that it's it's not about what you think 
uh, or feel. It's about what God says. And I think it does come back to that. I mean, we've, we, we're wrestling with this a lot at the moment. We're trying to think, as you say, how do we engage um, in, a, in a front-footed way in this debate? And I think, again, Anne Faraday is a great uh, sparring partner for this because in many ways, she's unusually honest. She says, look, I could acknowledge as a human being, but for me, she says, it's about uh, who decides the value of that life. And she's absolutely right. Ultimately, this is not a scientific debate. It's a debate of who gets to decide the value of someone else's um, life. And, and that's a, a supremely theological um, question. Uh, and and I, as I was reflecting on this, it made me think that in a sense, if one is to kind of step into momentarily uh, the, the worldview that she is setting forth, which of course is not going to, it doesn't hold together. So there's only so long you can spend in there before you have to sort of pop up for breath again. Um, but, 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 it, but, but within that worldview, um, when she talks about being honest, because there's one, one point, uh, it's about 16 minutes, she said, she said, let's be honest. All we're doing here, as we have been doing for, for many years, we need to be honest. It's just a form of birth control. She said, we just need to be honest. That's what we're doing. Mm. Now, if if honesty in her world is about being true to yourself mm. and responsible, as she would say, to yourself and doing what's right for you, then the only important truth that's going on in that moment for that person is, well, what's what matters to them? What do they value? What's mm. What facts do they want to know? What do they not want to know? Do they mm. want to think of it as birth control? Uh, d do they care whether a life has begun or not, technically speaking? Well, no. The, the, the motivation is to determine their own destiny. And ultimately, they just don't want to have a baby. So whether the baby's already been conceived or not is actually not relevant to the question. Um, the there's a sense in which I think we need to get under the worldview of the of of the people uh, we're speaking with, and and see where these different ideas are springing from, and see what what is the root really, what's the critical thing. And I think you're absolutely right. It is ultimately a theological question. I mean, I, th I think perhaps the starkest, the biggest jaw drop moment for for me uh, was um, she made the claim. She was talking about autonomy and morality and so on. And she made the claim, we do not sacrifice people. Uh, for, you know, she was talking about, you know, she wouldn't, it wouldn't be right to sort of take you, Christian, and sell your body parts and whatever. And mm -hmm. she and she was saying, it, we don't sacrifice people for for other people. Or for, and of course, that's exactly what is going on in this child sacrifice of babies in the womb. It's precisely that. It's sacrificing people mm -hmm. uh, for certain goals on certain altars mm -hmm. to certain false gods um but of course if you've got this new religion where you've decided that actually unless you're a self-determining uh human being with with the capacities to to choose and whatever well you don't count as a person so so within that worldview you've decided the, these are non-persons um but the reality is they are people and they are being sacrificed and so this is this is i think and I'm I'm just sort of thinking out loud here, really, and, and grappling with this. But I think this is where we need to go increasingly in our, in our and I think your debate was a massive leap forward in that uh, for us, in that you were very clear about uh, the authority of God over life and death, the importance of coming judgment and repentance. And I think that um, if I would say that, that where we began, really, I think the 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 unique and helpful um and significant contribution of this debate was to was to move the ball down the pitch in terms of no this is a theological question this is a question that touches on the ultimate values and convictions of our society and ultimately it is a war of of religions well uh, my recommendation dave is i think you should debate amfredi um you know, over the next year or so, um, and because I think I think we we should we need to see some of these points bottomed out on a on a deeper level, um, and and we need to we need to see, I think the public 
uh, you know, people in the UK need to see that this is a different religion, that this is not, as you said, we're not just on the same bus route, you know, hopping off at different stops. And I, I in you know, going back to Anne's strange integrity, I, I genuinely believe we loved her and I genuinely believe she felt loved mm. um, despite our disagreements with her. And it's probably an invitation that she may actually accept. Um, but, but even just, you know, Anne as a prototype of other people, I think we need to, you know, I, I, I'm interestingly, I wonder whether if you sat people down and say, can we talk about our different theological out, you know, our th different theological undergirdings, people are like, well, I'm not a theologian, I'm not a Christian, why would I do mm. that? But actually, by, by challenging people specifically on the abortion debate, I think we actually, we can gain entry to talk about all kinds yeah. of, um, you know, uh, subjects relating to it. And we can prove some of these points to unwitting audiences who think that they're coming to to a simple question of is it a human being or not. But actually, in the process, we're exposing their idols, we're exposing their worldview, and we, we're calling people to a, a new and better reality, be it, you know, submission to the Lordship of Christ. And I really, you know... Um, you know, I hope that actually this, this, you know, this is a, this debate will be, you know, um, a step forward and, and something that we don't end up going back on that actually, this is a stepping stone onto mm. more bigger and better debates with, with cultural leaders and, um, you know, industrial killers, um, um, you know, and, and that's, that's ultimately, you know, the, the two in, in some peculiar way are one in our current culture because the, because it's the people who are so, uh, so kind of in the steering wheel of culture are so embedded to kind of deaf cults, you know, um, mm. that, that we, I think we've got a, you know, we've, we've got a, um, you know, if we don't debate them, who will? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think this is in in our day and age. It is these great moral questions, these great um, uh, controversies that give us access to people's worldviews. You you ask people, you know, it's it's the classic thing, isn't it? You, you, no one thinks they have an accent; they just think other people have accents. And it's yeah. like that with worldviews. So often we get people saying to us, "Well, you're coming with your religion. You're coming with your ideology. We don't share your." your views as if they don't have religious views themselves, you know, as if they don't have ultimate values, cherish us, as if they don't have a set of rights and wrongs, mm. uh, even if they are relative, etc. Um, but yes, I think, I think engaging on these issues is a great opportunity, not just to speak justice, not just to see lives saved, but to proclaim the gospel in a way that really is culturally engaged. It's relevant and actually makes sense and actually gets to the heart um, of of people's heart affections and it's very interesting how the lord jesus so often rather than tiptoeing around the moral issues the personal issues the controversies mm. um of the day or of the individuals he was speaking with he so often used those as the sort of materials as the building blocks for uh, a conversation about ultimate reality and about uh, the gospel so you know with, with the woman at the well with the the two brothers uh, squabbling over the inheritance. Um, mm. he, he didn't just kind of avoid that and, and, and preach an abstract message that didn't touch on those things, but rather he said, look, look, at, look at what's really going on here. He went further. He didn't just meet them where they're at. He'd say, okay, you want to talk about inheritance? Let's talk about greed. And he goes there. Mm. And, and that, I think, is where we need to be going increasingly as the people of God in this generation. We, we, we don't want to do less than speaking about the moral issues. We want to do even more than speaking about the moral issues because they mm. open up this window mm. uh, to, to people's ultimate affections, uh, their view on reality. And, um, and, and because we have the spirit of God, we're able to make judgments about all things. We may well often find that we understand other people's worldviews better than they understand them themselves. Uh, the, the, the fish doesn't, you know, the fish cannot describe the water in which it's swimming. Um, but for those outside uh, that system, uh, with God's help, we can. And I, I think that's where we need to be going increasingly. Well, in the words well, of William Lay Craig, Dave, I couldn't agree with you more on that point. Um, no, I think you're. I think you're bang on. I think. I think this. So, 
we mustn't we we mustn't see these big hot potato issues as things that need to be avoided so that we can communicate the gospel mm. actually i think these hot potato issues are wonderful opportunities for us to cut to the heart of the matter and communicate the gospel in a in a very powerful uh and and kind of cultural changing way so wonderful wonderful well christian i think we've We've tortured one another and our listeners quite enough for one <laughs> one day. Especially my Willie so, Craig confessions. Um. <laughs> well, people have people have had William Lake Craig. They've had Bluey. They've had um, they've had earless Labradors swimming in the sea. So it's been quite a journey. Yeah, I'm sure and, we're going uh, to get some Christian. feedback on that. Uh, oh, we will. I'm sure trans- we will. Oh, too, yeah. too RSPCA. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the RSPCA probably has some sort of. Um, cookies is that the word you know listening into these things and uh probably we're on an alert system somewhere maybe we should just notify them we should we should notify them that a labrador was spotted without ears off the scottish (laughs) coast and they should maybe go and attend um we think there may be an owner in the crowds nearby (laughs) i'm surprised you didn't adopt it i mean that's your family's response normally to uh animals in distress Alas, uh, my wife wasn't swimming. Were she swimming, she would have nah. been out there in a jiff. That, that that would have been back in the black cab with you all the way from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we would have taken that. We would have taken the black lab to the vet and said, "Please have a look at this. Black lab. There <laughs> seems to be a lot wrong with it." Um, <laughs> um. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Christian, as ever, for um, your time, and uh, thank you for all you did at that debate. Um, God bless you for your faithfulness and uh thank you everyone for listening in and uh once again please do uh, share that debate um with with others and if you think it helpful also share this kind of post-match analysis just seeking to take further some of the things that came to the surface there thank you so much have a great week and hopefully we'll see you again next week